0: Support for IPR comes from Orchestra Iowa, presenting the movie E.T., the extraterrestrial on the big screen, accompanied by the Symphony Orchestra performing the score live, May 3rd and 4th at 7.30 at the Paramount. Tickets at orchestraiowa.com.
1: Today is Friday, the 14th of October, and this is here First from IPR News. I'm Julie Englander. Members of Iowa's revenue estimating panel say an economic recession isn't imminent in Iowa, but they're not sure how long that'll last. Holly Lyons is Fiscal Division Director of the nonpartisan Legislative Services Agency. Despite lots of press suggesting an upcoming recession, there is currently no sign of such a thing in Iowa tax revenue, Iowa employment, or Iowa wage earnings. Lyons says economic indicators suggest this is just a period of slower growth, not a recession. But she says there are global economic headwinds that include inflation, the war in Ukraine, and other countries falling into recessions. Panel member David Underwood says those factors, plus the workforce shortage and supply chain issues, mean it won't be long before Iowa's economic growth slows down more or stops. Iowa legal organizations are partnering to address the urgent need to secure a more permanent immigration status for Afghan arrivals. As IPR's Kendall Crawford reports, the Afghan Legal League of Iowa will use a federal grant to coordinate support for the around a thousand Afghans in the state.
2: Many Afghans came to the US as parolees, which only guarantees a legal status for two years. Now, these evacuees need to apply for permanent residency. That's where the coalition comes in. The University of Iowa's Center for Human Rights, the Iowa Migrant Movement for Justice, and Drake University's College of Law's legal clinic will expand their capacity to take on more cases. Susie Pritchett of Drake University says it's a resource the state badly needs. We think the community and networks that are, it's going to create are going to benefit non-citizens throughout Iowa beyond the length of this two-year project. The project will also help to establish a virtual help desk. Pritchett says it's a way for unrepresented Afghans from across the state to call in for general legal advice.
1: The entire state of Iowa is abnormally dry or in a state of drought, according to the Iowa Drought Monitor. More than half of the state is classified under moderate drought. Another third of the state faces severe to extreme drought. The Midwest Climate Hub's director, Dennis Toddy, says that these conditions come with fire risks.
0: We're dry enough that people do have to be careful with their combines or in fields or, or dry grasses about uh, fires that get kicked off.
1: A red flag warning was issued by the National Weather Service yesterday in portions of western and central Iowa. Officials say any fires that develop will spread rapidly. The last time Iowa saw similar dry drought conditions was in 2013. AAA is reporting gasoline prices in Iowa are about 30 cents a gallon higher than a month ago, Meredith Mitz is a spokesperson for AAA Iowa. She says gas prices in the weeks ahead are expected to rise because of holiday travel and weather may be another factor. It could
2: be a snowstorm or a rainstorm. It could be a hurricane hitting some of those pipelines. Um, But severe weather has the ability to impact what gas prices we're seeing locally, um, even if it's hitting somewhere else like down in Florida or on the east or west coast.
1: Council Bluffs is where gas is selling for the lowest price right now at 3.59 dollars a gallon, according to AAA, and Ames has the highest price at 3.84 dollars a gallon. Diesel fuel prices are averaging about $5 a gallon in Iowa. This is Here First from IPR News. I'm Julie Englander. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Iowa Department of Corrections has started a new mail system for inmates. Iowa Public Radio's Catherine Wheeler reports advocates for incarcerated Iowans have found the new system confusing and hard to navigate.
2: One of the ways Billy Hoffman stays connected with her husband Timothy while he's incarcerated in the Newton Correctional Facility is by making him homemade greeting cards. And the back of every greeting card I would make him, I had a rose on there and I put on there forever yours. But Hoffman says she's not sending him those anymore because of changes to the Iowa Department of Corrections prison mail system. Since July, all non-legal mail meant for inmates must be sent to a third-party company, Pigeonly, in Las Vegas, Nevada. DOC spokesman Nick Crawford says once it's received, mail will be opened, screened, and scanned.
0: That scanned mail is shared electronically with the Department of Corrections through a secure dashboard um, that allows us to then view that mail prior to a hard color copy of that mail
1: being sent to each institution.
2: Crawford says inmates will receive only copies of their personal mail. He says the reason for this new policy is the department's concern about drugs, particularly a synthetic drug known as K2, getting into prisons through the mail. But some across the state, including attorneys and the loved ones of inmates, say they're concerned about whether this policy could have negative effects for people on the inside. My first gut instinct when I heard that Iowa DOC was transitioning to Um, a photocopy mail system was that it was yet another way in which we deny people that we incarcerate a bit of their humanity. That's Allison Guernsey. She's a professor at the University of Iowa College of Law and the director of UI's Federal Criminal Defense Clinic. She says communication between inmates and people on the outside is valuable in maintaining strong connections. She says this new policy chips away at that. There is value in humanity in the physical mail that people receive from the smells of their house to the ability to touch the words on the page and maybe feel the cursive of their husband or wife or to be able to see the crayon drawing that their seven-year-old child made for them. The third-party service Pigeonly offers subscriptions to communicate through your phone with loved ones through their service. It advertises that if you want unlimited use of their electronic service, you have to purchase a paid subscription. Hoffman says she's opted into using Pigeonly's paid service, partly because it's a little more cost-effective for sending photos. I have not tried sending him anything through the mail because it's still... You know, they're going to photocopy it and then send it on. What's the point? And Hoffman says her husband hasn't been receiving some of the mail she sends him through the service. For others, though, this change has been difficult to figure out. Larry Smith and Nancy O'Garry Smith have a son who's incarcerated in Iowa. They say they used to send a lot of mail because it was one of the most consistent ways to communicate with their son. But Ogiri Smith says this new mail system has made it more confusing and difficult to communicate in a system that already has a lot of rules and policies.
1: It's very frustrating. They say they want interaction with uh, loved ones, but what they are doing is a contradiction. It is the definite opposite.
2: But the DOC says an account with Pigeonly is not necessary to continue to send mail through the Postal Service. People can continue to send mail to inmates as long as the senders are properly addressing the envelopes with the right information and the mail meets the DOC's guidelines. But many say that wasn't clear in the policy's rollout. Julia Zielinski, an assistant public defender in Johnson County, says the way this change of policy has been communicated and the lack of clarity is only building more distrust in the system. It shows a lot of disregard for Um, them as people, them as members of a community, them as members of a family, and really just sort of treats them kind of as nothing more than a security threat. Zelensky says this change reflects the department's priorities, but questions how officials will balance security and inmates' welfare in the future. I'm Katherine Wheeler, IPR News.
1: Autonomous vehicles that drive themselves seemingly with a mind of their own may come to farm fields long before they are common on roads. John Deere says it plans to develop autonomous tractors that can take on many of the duties of growing crops. No farmer needed. Harvest Public Media's Jonathan All reports the idea is being met with equal parts excitement, skepticism, and fear.
0: Earlier this year at the Consumer Electronics Show, Farm equipment manufacturer John Deere unveiled plans to have fully autonomous tractors and other farm implements on the market and in the fields by 2030. The company's presentation included a video featuring Minnesota farmer Doug Nims praising the prototype he used on his 2,000-acre corn and soybean farm. I think the tractor can do a better job than I can do. Autonomy, Uh, it's going to be a life changer for me. Deere contends a tough labor market for ag workers, wanting to free up farmers' time to do more important things and better farming are the goals of their efforts.
1: I'd say we've been chipping away at autonomy for the last 20-plus years, really.
0: Ryan Jarden is in charge of marketing large tractors at Deere. He says the equipment his company is developing can not only run day and night without an operator on board, but can also plant, plow, and apply fertilizer more accurately and efficiently
1: is it automates not only the driving function but basically every decision point that, that that operator would have made so and that can include things like adjusting the tillage tool depth or um, steering around an obstacle things like that
0: while deer made a big splash at ces there aren't a lot of details on an exact time frame on when the machines will be available and Jardin says that's on purpose he says this slow rollout is designed to give farmers a chance to process the idea and the reaction is mixed. I couldn't do it, but then again, I'm past 60. I I can't see it. Dave Busby has a small livestock and vegetable farm in central Missouri. He's having lunch in a local restaurant after spending all morning on his low-tech tractor. He says he doesn't like the idea of sending out a machine to do the work for him. There's nothing more appealing to me than to go out almost in the
2: spring. If you plow your ground, that smell that comes up, that first spring plow, to get out there
0: and have your hands on, What you're doing out there, to me, that will always be what real farming is. Younger farmers may be more amenable to the idea. Chris Otten farms 1,400 acres of corn and soybeans in southern Illinois. An easier, high-tech way of farming may be more attractive to the younger generation, like his eight-year-old son. But he also says technology can't farm by itself. And to trust the fact that it's going to work correctly all the time, Uh, And be able to sit behind a computer screen, I think that would ruin agriculture, and I think we would see a huge issue in our food supply if we went completely that way. You can do that to a certain degree, but again, there's going to have to be a balance point of where does that stop. Otten says as long as autonomous tractors are being set up and run by a farmer who's invested in the land and not by a corporation's technician miles or even states away, it could be a good thing. Others say autonomous tractors could be good for the environment by increasing efficiency. Rob Myers is the director of regenerative agriculture at the University of Missouri. He says that could mean reduced use of fuel, fertilizers, and pesticides. They will have an impact in terms of gathering more data that may lead to a higher use of precision application, different seeding rates, different fertilizers, maybe even planting different varieties in places. Even with autonomous tractors, Myers says farms need farmers. Farmers have plenty to do, not just driving tractors, so I think they will keep busy with other things if if the tractors are autonomous, but we'll we'll see. While Deere and some other manufacturers are moving quickly toward automation, there are barriers that will shut out many farmers, namely the price tag. While Deere is not releasing information on how much these tractors will cost, industry insiders routinely throw around figures of well over a half a million dollars. I'm Jonathan All, Harvest Public Media.
1: Harvest Public Media is a collaboration of public media newsrooms in the Midwest and Great Plains, including Iowa Public Radio. It reports on food systems, agriculture, and rural issues. Follow Harvest on Twitter at Harvest PM. This is Iowa Public Radio's Here First. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julie Englander.